The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along. It is 6 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That's 7 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes, half past seven in Newfoundland and Labrador, and beyond the Americas, 10 p.m. in London and Dublin, 11 p.m. in Warsaw and Budapest, where the tide of refugees has begun to ebb. Midnight in a beleaguered Kiev and Odessa, 1 a.m., in Moscow, where the Tsar plots his next move. Half past one in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. 3.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 6 a.m. in Singapore, Honkers and Perth. I'm sorry about that. 9 a.m. in Sydney. A far more convivial hour for the locked-down kippers and kedgery. And uh, Saturday afternoon for our listeners in the Pacific, including any sinister Chinaman uh, moving in for the next part of the old Belton Road initiative. March 25th. March 25th. On this day... In 1919, in Tetiv, about 100 miles southwest of Kiev, the Cossacks rode in and slaughtered two-thirds of the town's Jewish population in a single day. They tried to shelter in the wooden synagogue, but the Cossacks burned it down. 4,000 dead in one day. There is a lot in one town in one day. There is a lot of history in Ukraine. Tom Gross, the son of my old Telegraph colleagues, John Gross and Miriam Gross, uh, has a line he likes to use when he's sauntering through particularly handsome towns in Central Europe. The people who built these buildings are no longer here. They will be saying that in many other parts of Europe soon enough. On this day... In 1957, speaking of which, France, West Germany, Italy, Belgium, the Netherlands and Luxembourg came together to form the European Economic Community. And on this day in 2006, protesters clashed with riot police in Belarus over what they claimed was a fixed presidential election. Mr. Lukashenko, the victor, supposedly received 84% of the vote. I say that's awfully good, isn't it? Uh, the scale of the protests suggested otherwise. The objectors demanded a new vote. They didn't get one. He is still here. We have two contrasting stories at home and abroad, looking at it from a U.S. perspective. I think uh, Joe Biden is still stumbling around Europe. What was he doing today? Uh, yesterday, I think he was promising that he was going to launch chemical weapons against uh, Vladimir Putin. 
Uh, today he was telling the 82nd Airborne they're soon going to be in Ukraine. Uh, He's he's brilliant at these bluffs, isn't he? Just brilliant. Meanwhile, here in the United States, all the excitement in which I have a very small part uh, is to do with January the 6th. January the 6th. It's 15 months ago now. Uh, and and in particular, the uh, the post-election claims of fraud, including from Mrs. Clarence Thomas, Ginny Thomas, who's terrific fun. I always love uh, seeing uh, Ginny, and um, I recommend her company is about as good as it uh, gets, and uh, she makes no secret of her various uh, political enthusiasms, but in this case, they're all using it. They're saying, Are you, well, oh, Clarence Thomas should be recusing himself from me. He should step down from the court. Mm-hmm. Hunter Biden doing Chinese deals doesn't have to step down from the court. Uh, Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State. Uh, Joe Biden doesn't have to step down because uh, from the presidency alleged because of Hunter Biden's deals. Hillary Clinton doesn't have to step down from Secretary of State because of the uh, Ukrainian oligarchs pouring all this money into the Clinton Foundation. But here we go. We'll be talking about January the 6th uh, again. And uh, it, it, we really need... I, talking about January the 6th, the only thing that can now... Uh, stop, get January the 6th off, is Lindsay, whatever he's called, awful, ghastly senator from South Carolina, uh, going on TV and uh, calling for World War Three. Very bizarre times. Very bizarre times. Looking at Joe Biden staggering around Europe and then the newspapers pretending this... Uh, the Washington Post has done a big thing claiming that, uh, you know, these are all like media A-listers who were deep in the fever swamps with Ginny Thomas. By by media A-listers, they mean me. I don't even, <laughs> I don't do anything in the United States anymore. I, uh, <laughs> I walked away from it. It's so crap. Its media is so totally crap. I had no interest in it. And, um, uh, and uh, that's the best you got, some Canadian guest host. We need to have an. Uh, we need to stop Canadian guest hosts. Uh, Justin Trudeau and uh, and uh, Joe Biden not come up with some deal to keep all the Canadian would be Canadian guest hosts out of America. Uh this this is from Kate Smythe from Down Under. Ginny Thomas's impressions were absolutely spot on, as confirmed by the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election by Molly Ball in Time magazine. But that account of conspiracy and collusion to, quote, fortify the result did not cover the most egregious aspect of 2020 presidential election interference, according to the former U.S. Attorney General, which was by the now president of the U.S. I was very disturbed, said Bill Barr, during the debate when candidate Biden lied to the American people about the laptop and suggested it was Russian disinformation. So when you're talking about interference in an election, I can't think of anything more than that kind of thing. Bill Barr. So why the focus on the Ginny Thomas and the activism when 50 former U.S. intelligence officials and the now president 
knowingly lied in order to rig the election. P.S. If he was so outraged, why didn't he say anything at the time? P.P.S. Speaking of SCOTUS and political activism following the election, what about the conclusion of Justice Roberts et al. that, quote, Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner in which another state conducts its elections? Yes. Well, we all know that. Uh, Justice Roberts is the worst kind of judge because he, he starts at the desire with what he perceives to be his desired result and then figures out a way to get to it, as opposed to taking an evidence tree, uh, so-called. That's one thing I've learned from one of my various bits of litigation and seeing where the evidence tree stacks up to as it goes towards its pinnacle. But uh, Justice Roberts doesn't think like that. Um, Kate, Kate is is right. You know, I I don't know where I don't know where this is going. I I take for you know the the trap the problem with the right the problem with the right and with the American right in particular is it always plays on the left's terms. You know, so. Uh, Kate is quite right. There were four, 50 former U.S. intelligence officials who left, who, who, who allowed their names to be used to paint the Hunter Biden laptop, which is Hunter Biden's laptop with Hunter Biden's emails and Hunter Biden's uh, crack photographs and Hunter Biden's prostitute videos on it, as we all know, and as anybody who took the trouble to follow the story at the time knew. And yet 51, uh, oh, I think it was actually 51 former U.S. intelligence officials, you know, the useless buggers who've got everything wrong, except when they're deliberately trying to get something wrong and planting a false story, then they can all agree their stories and get something out like this. Now, why don't, why don't we hold them to account? Oh, we don't, because in, as Kathy Shadle always used to say, it's diff the, the liberal position is it's different when we do it. So uh, the president's son being uh, corrupt and doing corrupt business deals with the Chinese Communist Party is different from a judge's wife pursuing her own uh, political enthusiasms. It's crap. We've got a question here. It's all crap. The, the state of America right now is very diseased. I mean, we, we've got a situation. We've got a woman who, regardless of the fact that she's, in, uh, uh, you know, if you're a pedo, if you, if you get turned on by eight-year-olds having sex, uh, you're now going to have a uh, a high court judge who sympathizes with you. Uh, even at a time, even even if you don't go there, she's generally soft on crime at a time when uh, America's uh, cities are becoming. America doesn't really have a first world murder rate. It's something a little beyond that. Uh, and one of the reasons is because of judges like this judge, who, when they're on lower courts, are horribly soft on crime, horribly soft on crime. Um, and we're going to, at a time when people are just beginning to recognize that, uh, America's going to stick her on the high court. You know, nothing works anymore. Don't you get it? This is where I've had it with the constitutional federal. I'll come back to the January the 6th thing. Uh, 
I can't. I haven't heard any constitutional fetishist. I read widely. I listen to the radio. Uh, who who uh, who can explain to me how, in a country with an explicit constitutional right to a speedy trial, you can be sitting in solitary confinement for fifteen months on a uh, what's essentially a trespassing charge. And, you know, we all know the cruel and unusual aspects of the punishment because it's driven some of those prisoners to suicide. But nobody cares. And the constitutional fetishists thinking that the Constitution is going to save you. This is a post-constitutional order and the Constitution enabled the totalitarian left to steal your country away from you. So go take up the Constitution with Mark Levin. Ask Mark Levin about the right to a speedy trial. Because I tell you something, in a functioning justice system, you don't sit in... Co what, what does it matter if any of these people sitting in solitary confinement since January 2021 uh, are eventually found not guilty? They're never going to get that time back. They're never going to get the emotional damage back. Frank Gallenstein says, I suppose all the U.S. constitutionalists are relieved to know the U.S. Senate is about to confirm a Supreme Court judge who can't tell the difference between a hippopotamus and a giraffe because she's not a zoologist, when we all know it's because she's concerned one of the two might identify as an anteater. Well, again, uh, these nine judges shouldn't be as important as they are. And this whole game where, you know, you have the designated swinger, which is now John Roberts, and all he has to do is bring one of the rock-ribbed <laughs> conservatives with him, uh, and he's got a 5-4 majority, uh, you know. I mean, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that. And particularly not, you know, she's patently... If only nine judges get to sit on this court, she is patently not one of the nine you would remotely consider for it. Uh, M. Stephen Lee says, did Katanji Brown-Jackson accidentally admit that gender has something to do with biology when she claimed not to be a biologist earlier this week? Hmm. Yeah, I noticed that too. I noticed that because insofar as there is any logic or science behind any of this, uh, the left tell us that gender is separate from sex. Sex is biological. All you chromosome guys, always, oh, well, it's about your chromosomes. Well, the left says, ah, <laughs> you bunch of rubes. <laughs> chromosomes are for sex. We never use that word. We use gender now. Gender is a social construct. Sex, sure, that's chromosomes. That's external and internal genitalia. Uh, but, uh, but the broader gender is a social construct. So you can have the external genitalia and still be a woman and all the rest of it. And so I too thought uh, that's a bit of a, that's a slightly odd answer to give. And then I thought, wait a minute, I'm getting head fake and suckered by the left into playing along with the stupid games. There's no logic to it. It's a brute power thing. They can put this woman on the high court, so they're going to do it. And uh, what's the betting? How many, how many reach across the aisle Republicans are going to be voting for her? 
Chris from Michigan writes, Would a woman by any other name look as sweet? Although it won't sabotage the SCOTUS nominee, might Marsha Blackburn's question be an emperor's new clothes moment for the willfully disengaged populace? I may not know what a woman is, but I know what I like. We all we all expect the emperor's new... You know, that's Hans Christian Andersen. Kathy Shadle used to talk about this because she thought that's the bit of the story that he would get wrong. The little boy points... The, the, the emperor is uh, suckered by these tailors into buying a fantastic new suit There's not, uh, and there's nothing there because to a fool, the suit appears to be invisible. Uh... But to a wise man, it's a fantastic, high-style haute couture creation. So he doesn't want to be thought a fool, so he goes along with it. And the only kid, the only guy uh, in the, out there on the streets watching the parade who isn't sufficiently sophisticated, this is the genius of the story, that you can pass off complete bollocks if you give it the veneer of faux sophistication. That's a brilliant insight from Hans Christian Andersen because everyone wants to be sophisticated and do what the sophisticates think about. Uh, so the one, the one guy on all the streets, teeming streets, who doesn't know that is the little boy who just looks at this nude emperor walking down the street and saying, hey, there's his majesty without his kit on. What's up with that? The King was in the All Together. Jessica Martin and I made a great record of that, which you can buy at uh, the Stein store, and you should buy, because it's uh, Jess. I basically play uh, the King, and she plays all the other parts and is brilliant at it. Um, but the one thing, Kathy Shadle used to say this to me, uh, the one thing that uh, Hans Christian Andersen got wrong is that when the kid pointed out that his majesty was naked as a jaybird, uh, instead of saying, oh, yeah, you're right, funny we didn't notice that, they would, in fact, have clubbed him into a pulp. Today, uh, that little boy would have been expelled from Twitter. He'd have had his Facebook and Instagram cancelled for pointing that out because you're not permitted to point it in and out. So there's not going to be an emperor's new clothes moment because we have taught ourselves uh, to disbelieve our lying eyes. And then there is a great, uh, there is also, there's, there's social opprobrium. Uh, so, for example, if, you're, if you listen to NPR and uh, you move in Democrat circles, you really wouldn't want to start talking with any of those people about how Leah Thomas is obviously just pulling our leg. I mean, Leah Thomas, she, 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 she. You've got to put some effort into being a she, 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 she. Uh, you can't just keep your big, broad shoulders, have no knockers, be hung like a stallion, uh, and have thighs like tugboats. Uh, that you're just not trying. There's nothing. You've got to do something. You've got to, you've got to speak in a girly way. You've got to have a little bit of the hormone treatment so you have the nice vestigial breasts. Uh, we're not saying you have to chop off the meat and two veg, but you've got to do something, little miss swimming champ. Uh, because otherwise it just looks like this is some giant massive leg pull of the planet. But uh, nobody, sa nobody says... Uh, 
Nobody looks at the empress of the swimming pool and says that the uh, the uh, empress has uh, has uh, no lady parts. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. We're stupid. Uh, there's a lot of people who run our societies who are evil, and we are complicit in that evil because uh, we go along. We go along with it. And and what as as I've said now for uh, months, maybe years, the advantage that Chairman Xi, and Putin, and all kinds of other people have is that they're not as nutty as we are. They may be more blood soaked than we are, but they're not as nuts. There is, uh, they're more rooted in reality. Um, Paul Harmon says, for Brett Kavanaugh's hearing, we were supposed to believe all women, no matter how fluffy. For KBJ's hearing, we're not supposed to know how to recognize a woman's existence. I think that is not because the Democrats and socialists have evolved, but because their morality does not exist. They are focused exclusively on power. Yes, this whole waste of time you know, debating the logic of it. I, I'm a great... And again, I think this is where the whole legalistic approach to American life fails, as opposed to, uh, you know, most or almost anywhere on the planet where it's all done in a utilitarian sense. Something very weird about this need to litigate every issue as if, to, you know, to make a, essentially a lawyerly argument about it because a lot of these questions do end up in courts. Most people, if you just stick to a utilitarian sense, is it, is it useful to any society to undermine the family and, uh, and abolish the biological sexes? Obviously it isn't. It isn't at all. And so when you start going down that, and again, again, uh, I think when it comes to sports, again, the sort of win-at-any-cost culture, these ghastly, awful sports, no self-respecting person should be following these sports. And these college coaches win at any cost. So you're coaching the ladies' swim team and some uh, six-foot-seven guy with five o'clock shadow comes in and uh, he can't get on the boys' swim team because he's not quite good enough. But uh, he thinks he's got a pretty good chance of being the fastest time in the ladies' pool. And these win-at-all-cost coaches say, oh, yeah, sure, come on down. I'm old-fashioned about sport. Never mind the cheer, my school song, never mind the cheers or hooting. Keep your head and play the game. It's about playing the game, playing fairly. And so if you do have genuine, uh, whatever they call it, gender dysphoria, you should accept that the price for being able to live your life as a woman is that you won't be able to live it as a woman swimming champion because that's not fair to the girls. But people don't think and there's never any consideration of basic fairness or fair play in these hideous, unwatchable uh, American sports, which is why they find it so easy to jump into bed with Chairman Xi. Anyway, I know some of you fellas still like the old college football, so I won't go on about that anymore. And actually, you know, in fairness, if you look at rugby and cricket and uh, 
certain other Britannic sports, they've imbibed, imbibed some of that rubbish too, unfortunately. Uh, so, uh, so there we are. John Shea says, what exactly is your relationship with Tucker? We're lovers, John. We've been lovers for years. We just don't like to talk about it in public. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Mark says, John Shea says, Mark, what exactly is your relationship with Tucker, Fox News, Laura, I, etc.? Not that long ago, you were substitute host, and now. Um, I have, I've only guest hosted for Laura Ingram once on the radio a long, long, long time ago, and then... Uh, I started guest hosting for Rush, and they didn't want me guest hosting for anybody else. Uh, so I, I never guest hosted for Laura Ingram uh, a second time. Uh, I, I like Laura, and I have very cordial relations with Laura when we run into each other, uh, as I do with Tucker and as I do with Fox News. But I think this is now the third time I've explained it, that last summer or thereabouts, I had one week where I was talking about, I was asked to talk, go on Tucker and talk about the pregnant man emoji. This was uh, either just before or just after the fall of Kabul and the humiliation of America in Afghanistan. And then, so I talk about the pregnant man emoji. And then the next week I'm asked on to talk about uh, Andrew Cuomo's dog. And I'm, you know, I'm 137 years old and I don't want to end out my telly days talking about Andrew Cuomo's dog or the pregnant man emoji. There's loads of guys who are 22 who can do that perfectly well. And it's like fun to do on your way up. But when you're 137 years old, you know, tempus fugit and you want to spend what time is left talking about things that actually matter. And we couldn't come to we couldn't come to an arrangement on this. There's a very nice lady called Mead. I've mentioned her before. I like Mead enormously. Um, but they're wary. They're wary about, you know, there's certain people they like talking about Andrew Cuomo's dog, but they don't want them, say, talking about the collapse of Western civilization. So I was just uh, talking about stuff that was of no interest and indeed was of no interest as far as I could tell, to commenters at Stein Online, because we started to notice that when I was on talking about Andrew Cuomo's dog, oddly enough, no commenters were interested in the vital subject of Andrew Cuomo's dog. Now, I've got nothing against Fox News. I've got nothing against Mead. I find Mead delightful company. I don't like it when she beats me up because I demand to know why... Uh, Sean Hannity has Lindsey Graham on three nights a week, and she tells me I'm not to uh, I'm not to keep going on about why Sean Hannity has Lindsey Graham on three nights a week. Although I think going on about why Lindsey Graham is on Sean Hannity three nights a week is quite important because I think for every appearance, uh, your uh, every appearance of Lindsey Graham on Hannity, there goes another swing seat. So um, I'm I'm. Uh, I, I just decided, you know, that it wasn't anything I wanted to do. And then quite independently, I got asked to do this show on GB News. And you can say what you like about this show on GB News, but we don't talk about Andrew Cuomo's dog or the pregnant man emoji. I agree. I forget who it was who said it, but I think a lot of this woke... For a start, the right is too reactive. The left never reacts. 
The left just does its thing. And so I think this is a general, this isn't a left-right thing. It isn't a particularly political thing. I think, but I think it's a useful bit of advice in life that if the party of the first part is doing stuff and the party of the second part is just reacting to the party of the first part doing stuff, then the party of the first part will come out in a stronger position. And that's what too much so-called conservative media is about. Just, oh, did you hear what uh, AOC said today? Did you hear what Jen Psaki said today? You can do a little bit of that for a little bit of color. But it isn't, you've got to do more than that. And it's the more than that that I find unsatisfactory. So that's how it is. There's no bad feelings. I don't guest host at Fox anymore because I'm now hosting my own show. And I'm like, I'm tired of being the America's oldest guest host. I don't even know how that happened. Uh, I was happy to do it for Rush. It was a position of great privilege. But having done it for Rush, which is the number one show, uh, there's no point doing it for anybody else now that poor Rush is gone because because you're just going down a step. Uh, so there's no point to that. Robert Bridges says, in light of the outrageous outcomes of trials, bail hearings of the January 6th protesters, visitors to the Capitol, how do you see your suit with man going? <laughs> well, the trial's supposed to be this June. You know how it goes. There's, I think there's a 12-man jury. Oh, actually, we might be getting a smaller jury. I don't I can't remember whether I heard that right or not because of the COVID because they have to socially distance. But if it's a 12-man jury, there will be 11 solid down-the-line Democrats and then the 12th guy will be from the even crazier socialist Marxist workers transgender party. That's just the nature of the beast. So we shall see how that goes. Uh, I would have felt better if we'd gone into court, you know, six weeks after he filed his stupid statement of claim. But that's not the way things work. And again, I want to just emphasize this. I want to emphasize this. Because Americans have, again, all the constitutional guys who let these January 6th fellas sit in jail for 15 months awaiting trial. Where's your constitution? Get real or, uh, or, or, or light it up and throw it over your shoulder. Nothing works here. That's the problem. That's the problem. When, when a guy is sitting in solitary confinement for 15 months, there's two possibilities. One, I mean, in either possibility, it's unconstitutional. But one, you're just totally incompetent and you should do something about that. But the other more disquieting thing is you're evil. You've got political prisoners. And Americans have got so used to this, you know, like in my case, which is whatever it is now, 10 years, 11 years, to litigate a 270-word blog post, 11 years. We're now in the second decade. So people think it's perfectly normal then for it, take, for it to take 15 months before you can even have a scheduling hearing to set a trial date in a trespassing case. No, it's not. It's evil. And that's another reason why uh, I, I'm not really wanted, I would say, in American media. And I think that's reasonable because who needs a foreigner to tell you your system's crap? 
Uh, nobody wants to believe that on left or right. You know, Mark Levin, in the end, uh, would rather be a pom-pom girl for the American Constitution because otherwise, you know, what's the point of it? I can't do that. I, I look at people sitting in solitary for 15 months awaiting trial and say, wait a minute, that's an evil system. If, I, if this were happening on the continent of Africa or in the Middle East or Central Asia, all these pom-pom conservatives would have no trouble saying that's an evil system. But they somehow, they can't quite go there when it's their own country whose constitution has ceased to function. Midwestern Tim says, I saw that Russian embassy tweet earlier this week with a picture of Bill and Hillary, Barack and Michelle, George and Laura, and George H.W. in a wheelchair, and it got me thinking about when exactly it was that the USA became evil. What was the date when Woodrow Wilson was elected president? FDR and the rise of the administrative state? Roe versus Wade? Something else? Yes, I think... Uh, I wouldn't go back as far as that because I think there's a difference between someone like Wilson, who just has certain crazy ideas, and someone like FDR, who uh, believes so much in energy in the executive that he's prepared to just bulldoze uh, the very delicate balance uh, in any state. Roe versus Wade is a different thing. I happen to think abortion is a great evil for which... Um, you know, future societies, assuming there's anybody left to write history, will judge us very harshly for. But I think the problem is just the scale of corruption here. Just the scale of corruption. It's like nothing on earth. You know, if you Joe Biden is is, uh, is a classic example of that. Joe Biden has accumulated the kind of wealth that, you know, a businessman, the most energetic, innovative businessman on the planet would be working 22-hour days to accumulate. You know, he's got, a, he's got a property portfolio that cannot be explained by his salary or his investments. He's a crook. And we put up with this because, oh, he's old Joe. He's a nice crook. There's always been a bit of that. No, 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 no. In most countries, they haven't. It goes back to all this argument you know, this, this, this Doris at the Washington Post, Paul Fahey, who's done this thing, uh, he's gone back and he's listened to the show I did, whatever it was, two days after the election where I was using, there's a coup coming on, 10cc. He didn't seem to know that. He could have Googled it. But, you know, these guys never want to do too much work. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Joe Biden's a crook. Hunter Biden's a crook. Hunter Biden we know, gets, and, and Jim Biden, uh, Joe's brother. So you don't even have, in America, it's so dirty, dirty, dirty. I don't like it. I can't stand it. I can't stand it because you can, you know, there, you can, you can, there are people in other countries who would like to be that corrupt. Tony Blair had a, you know, he set up a garbage foundation like the Clinton Foundation and tried to do the same. He's tried to do the same thing. We're getting oligarchs and Saudi princes to pay him $10 million for crap, unlistenable speeches. But he, he can't really he can't really do it to that level. 
And then when it's somebody else like David Cameron or John Major who would love to get a piece of that action, they can't get anywhere near it. It's an American thing to do it on that scale. And the fact that it doesn't even, you know, I met, uh, uh, what's her, um, her name? She's the, I think, either the granddaughter or the great-granddaughter of Herbert Hoover. A very charming lady, a very squishy sort of rhino, uh, reach-across-the-aisle uh, type of Republican. Um, and uh, she was. I introduced her to Winston Churchill, uh, who's the grandson, who was the grandson of the Winston Churchill. <laughs> I thought it was cute to introduce Churchill's grandson to Hoover's granddaughter, and we had a little bit of a laugh about it. And uh, and Churchill, uh, Winston Churchill was explaining that, oh, you know, nobody really is terribly interested if you're just related to a prime minister because it's not that interesting after all, is it, just to be the grandson of a prime minister? What's the, what's the big deal about that? And uh, the difference is in, in America is that you can actually transform that. You know, if you're Chelsea Clinton, you can be put on the payroll by a major network to do no work for vast sums of money. If you're Jim Biden, Jim Biden, the president's even more stupid brother, Chinamen and Ukrainians will give you vast amounts of cash mainly because of your last name, which they know will open certain doors. With Hunter Biden, you know, even theory, the old jokes about the idiot, the Hollywood idiot nephew who would wind up being vice president at the studio. Uh, that Hunter Biden is way beyond that. He can't function. He can't get up in the morning and know where he is. But you still put him on the payroll for his last name. I mean, and this is this is terribly, terribly, terribly depressing. The level of corruption, the level of corruption. That's what it's all about in the end. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A. We got more your questions coming up. But first, as we always try to do a sense of perspective. Keep up to date with the past on the 100 Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. No smoking for the ladies. A day off on Saturday? And hit and miss assassinations. It's March 1922. A hundred years from today. Your World News Update, the messy aftermath of the Great War continues for its entire 18-month existence. Following Poland's invasion of Lithuania, the Republic of Central Lithuania, centered around the ancient capital of Vilnius, has been seen as a Polish puppet state. It is no longer. The so-called Republic has been annexed by Poland and incorporated into the Wilno Voivodeship. 
Much to the dislike of Berlin, the Saarland was carved out of Prussia and Bavaria and under the Treaty of Versailles handed to France and Britain as a League of Nations mandate. The lucrative coal mines were ceded to Paris. The mandate issues its own postage stamps and has its own currency, the Saar franc. Nevertheless, it is unusual in the heart of Europe to have a state that has no democratic accountability whatsoever. Now the ruling Commission, colloquially known as the RICO, under its French chairman, Monsieur Roll, has created a 30-member regional council of resident Germans uh, that will consult with the French and British occupiers. Elections are planned for later this year. In news from other League of Nations mandates, London has told its sheik in the Mesopotamian desert, you'll rule this land with me. The young King Faisal of Iraq has signed a military agreement with London, giving Britain full control over the territory's defences. The Allied powers have agreed to amend the Treaty of Sèvres in an attempt to end the Greco-Turkish war, but Turkish nationalists are refusing to sign any armistice until Greece withdraws all its forces from Anatolia. In the Russian Civil War, troops of the anti-Bolshevik Yakut People's Army have seized the Siberian city of Yakutsk. Pavel Milyakov served as Russia's foreign minister for two and a half turbulent months in the spring of 1917. He was giving a speech in Berlin to fellow Russians who left their homeland after the Bolshevik Revolution. Two men approached the stage singing the old Tsarist national anthem and then opened fire on Mr. Milyakov. Another former government official from that brief interlude between Tsars and communists, Vladimir Nabokov, attempted to wrestle the gun away from the assassin, but instead took two bullets himself and died at the scene. Mr. Nabokov leaves a widow and five children, the oldest of whom, also called Vladimir Nabokov, is said to be a promising writer and also gives tennis and boxing lessons. Also in news of failed assassination, in Shanghai, two Koreans attempted to execute General Baron Tanaka Gishi, the former Japanese Minister of War, as he was disembarking from a ship. They missed and killed an American woman instead. Every Irish heart will know that we breathe.
There are those who think not. The printing press of the Freeman's Journal has been destroyed by men of the Irish Republican Army because of that newspaper's support of the incoming Irish Free State. Far worse things have happened in recent days. Two policemen were killed by IRA men in Northern Ireland, and in reprisal, the following day, eight Catholics were shot at the home of Owen McMahon in Belfast. Six are dead, Mr McMahon, four of his sons and an employee. Nevertheless, under the auspices of Mr Winston Churchill, Secretary of State for the Colonies, representatives of the government in London, the government of Northern Ireland, the government of the Irish Free State and the Irish Republican Army have all signed an agreement consenting to a halt to all hostilities. And the Irish Free State Act has been given royalist sent by the King, providing for the dissolution of the Parliament of Southern Ireland and new elections for the Irish Free State Legislature, and also giving Northern Ireland a month to decide whether it wishes to opt out of the new Irish state. The United States Senate has voted unanimously, 75 to nil, to ratify a treaty banning the use of poison gas in warfare, as well as the use of submarines in warfare. They have also voted unanimously to approve the nine-power treaty respecting the sovereignty and territorial integrity of China. On the vote to approve the Washington Naval Treaty restricting warship construction, there was one no vote from Senator France of Maryland. The so-called four-power treaty between the US, Great Britain, France and Japan was approved far more narrowly, with only 12 of the Senate's 35 Democrats in favour. One man who will not be joining those Senate Democrats is Lucien W. Parrish, U.S. Representative for the 13th District of Texas. He was campaigning for the Democrat nomination for Senator and en route to Roby in Fisher County to give a speech when his automobile plunged off a bridge. He survived the accident with skull injuries and a broken jaw, but while convalescing in hospital at Wichita Falls, contracted cerebral meningitis and is dead at 44. Ah, what woman does not know the rapture of a cigarette? But that could prove expensive in New York. The city's police commissioner, Richard Enright, is enforcing a new ordinance prohibiting women, but not men, from smoking in public. Commissioner Enright has directed police to issue fines of $5 per cigarette where the fairer sex is caught enjoying a smoke at a restaurant or hotel. The chairman of the Board of Aldermen says he is unaware of any such ordinance, supposedly passed earlier this month. How would you like a day off on Saturday? Sounds crazy, right? But Edsel Ford, president of the Ford Motor Company, has announced that his company will be the first to move permanently to a 40-hour work week, Monday to Friday. And then 
You can feel free to gamble and frolic for two full days of your own. Every man needs more than one day a week for rest and recreation, says Mr Ford. The Ford Company always has sought to promote ideal home life for its employees. We believe that in order to live properly, every man should have more time to spend with his family. We note, however, that the entry-level wage remains unchanged at $6 per day, so the five-day week means that work will be taking home a sixth less in wages. The U.S. Supreme Court has issued its ruling in United Zinc and Chemical Company versus Brit, and in so doing has modified the attractive nuisance doctrine that has held at common law for eight decades. Under that legal doctrine, a property owner is responsible for the injuries of a trespassing child if the cause of injury is something that could reasonably have been expected to attract a child into coming onto the property. However, in a 6-3 decision, the court now rules that the defendant is not liable if the child comes onto the property without being aware of the seductive cause of his injury. In this case, from 1916, two boys aged 8 and 11 died after their discovery of a large pool of contaminated water, which was not visible at all from the perimeter of the property. Love her by radio. You will find it radio. Louisiana has become the latest state in which you can love her by radio. The first licensed radio station, WWL, has begun broadcasting from New Orleans with a piano recital. Unlike other stations, this one had to get permission not just from the government, but from the Vatican because it is run by Jesuit priests from Loyola University. In sports news, the 81st Grand National at Aintree has been won by Music Hall, ridden by Louis Rees. His brother Fred won last year's race. In the Stanley Cup, the Toronto St. Pats have beaten the Vancouver Millionaires 5-1 to to take Lord Stanley's famous trophy three games to two. We reported last month on the legal travails of the celebrated New York boxing promoter Tex Rickard, charged with abducting and sexually assaulting four minors. In the first trial, a jury has acquitted him of assaulting and abducting a 15-year-old girl. The district attorney's office has now dropped the three other cases. With a smile on my face I'll go back to that place For a word Boy, that was some sunny day on March 28th, an annular solar eclipse in which the sun appears as a thin gold ring was visible throughout British and French West Africa and all the way to Arabia. Sir John Craig Eaton inherited Toronto's famous department store from his father, Timothy, and expanded it nationwide, to the point that a small railway town in Saskatchewan was named in his honour, Etonia. The Winnipeg, Toronto and Montreal stores are said to have revolutionised department store retailing throughout North America. On a typical day, one in ten Winnipeggers visits Eaton's, and the company proudly promotes itself as the largest 
largest retail organization in the British Empire. Alas, Sir John is dead of pneumonia, contracted after a bad bout of influenza at the age of 45. And that's the way of the world, March 1922. A hundred years from today. A hundred years from today. And on Sunday, we'll be presenting our monthly anthology edition of the 100 Years Ago show. That's usually stuff you've heard before if you follow our show each week. Uh, But in this month's anthology, at least half of the show will be totally brand new. Never heard before. That's uh, a consequence of my Ukrainian uh, travels. Okay, let's get back to your questions from around the planet on this uh, Clubland Q&A. Michael writes from Colorado to say, Hi, Mark, the search for someone to step up and lead the free world Western civilization continues. Regretfully, we are without leadership in America at this pivotal, crucial time. We are in need of another Winston Churchill. Do you see anyone who might emerge and take the role of standing up, standing for all that we cherish and hold dear? Thanks. You know, it's important to remember that Churchill is only Churchillian in hindsight. Uh, At the time, uh, Churchill... Uh, took over the prime ministership from Neville Chamberlain. He was just another Conservative Party politician and one with a who did not enjoy a good reputation on the benches of the House of Commons. There was a it was felt to be a choice between him and Lord Halifax. Lord Halifax uh, was um, a, a much more conventional figure in a way, although he was regarded as very clever and all the rest of it. And and it's posterity which can... Uh, not, well, no, not just posterity. I think once he started doing these uh, we will fight on the beaches things, people realised uh, that they had got someone equal to the moment. Uh, But again, as I said, Churchill is only Churchill with the benefit of posterity. And as you know, the British electorate thought he was just another politician. And in 1945, they felt they'd had enough of him and uh, and decided they'd replace him at number 10 with Clement Attlee, who's a near parodic example of the sort of mediocre non-entity politics. And and that's not to say anything about Clem Attlee, who uh, certainly from a lefty point of view was a very effective and committed head of the executive. So the point here, the point here is that you can't, we're way beyond the stage where we can expect to find a lion who will lead us donkeys out of the mess we're in. There might well be one out there. I, uh, it might well be Trump in 2024, although Trump needs new shtick. I'll put it as basically as that. So if he's just going around to the stadiums and riffing for a couple of hours, it's not going to do it for him this time. You know, and as I said, because it's all out in the papers today, I'm someone who believes that the last election was stolen. But nobody, no, uh, certainly not John Roberts or anybody else who could do anything about that wants to go near it. So the fact is that Trump's going to have to up his game if he's going to come back 
in 20... I can't even talk about 2024. I mean, who knows? We might have had the Third, the third World War by then. We might be uh, in a world of smoking ruins where our great cities used to be. You don't know quite how stupid Joe Biden and the talentless twerps around him are going to be. But I don't see... Uh, I see clever people. I mean, Eric Zemmour, for example, in France, is a very clever fellow. And he says things, and he's getting away with saying them. Um, he says things that no American politician would say about immigration and the like. And it's interesting whether he sees his job as just to move the Overton window, as we say now, or whether he seriously thinks he's campaigning for the presidency. But he'd be doing a service. Uh, and anybody here would be doing a service if they could move the Overton window. Instead, we have a situation like Steve King's got a book out at the moment, for example, Congressman Steve King. I don't know much about him, to be honest. I think he was a congressman for 20 years or something. Uh, but I remember talking on the radio because he gave a uh, he gave an interview to the New York Times. Uh, they stitched him up and they started putting all these... Uh, hanging all these concepts on him like Western civilization. Well, I'm in favor of Western civilization. So it was a shock to me that Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and all these other fellas apparently think that's some sort of code word for white supremacy. So we've got dickheads in the Republican Party who are prepared to surrender the phrase Western civilization. That's why it's so hard. You know, all the challenges are harder here. Just just turning, turning everything. The great thing about Trump in 2015, this is 2015 Trump, is that he just said stuff and people go, oh, you can't say that. And his numbers just went up. And everyone was against him, uh, not only the Republicans, but even people like Macy's stopped carrying Trump ties. Uh, and... The thing about Trump then was that he was big enough to bulldoze his way through these things. Now, actually, when he got into office and he was dependent on all the scummy, sleazy hacks from the Republican Party to staff the executive branch, he got mostly uh, bamboozled by these guys. He didn't have enough of his own guys. And so this brings me back to my point, real point, Michael. When you say, do you see anyone who might emerge and take the role of standing up, standing for all that we cherish and hold dear? Too late for that. Too late. It's not clear, for example, that what you mean by the things you cherish and hold dear are shared by a majority of your compatriots. This idea that there is a vast mass of normal people who... Uh, who, whose views on Leah Thomas or whatever can be calculated, I think is mostly a delusion. When uh, The point I always make, and I've made for almost the entirety of this century, is common sense assumes we still have anything in common. And when you look at, certainly when you look at the United States, certainly when you look at Her Majesty's Dominions, it's a little difficult when you get a little different when you get to continental Europe. And as you know, I've said that one of the things I liked about being in Ukraine was that Ukraine reminded me of the way countries used to be. 
But in the advanced Western societies, particularly the English-speaking ones, we have completely destroyed common sense. What do I? I don't. I don't think. I. I don't. I don't think、uh, Leah Thomas is a woman. In the end, because、uh, as I said, she's not making any effort, and I resent that. Uh, I'd rather see a pantomime dame in the swimming pool than Leah Thomas. So, someone who thinks Leah Thomas is a woman, and someone who thinks, "Wait a minute, how come a guy who's six foot three gets to flaunt his wedding tackle in the girls' showers every day?"、Um, whether they have enough in common to Operate in the same society, particularly as we've seen in the COVID years, a society that is ever where officialdom is ever, ever, ever more intolerant of any kind of dissent. So the answer to your question, Michael, isn't to find some、uh, perfect apotheosis of all that we cherish and hold dear. Winston, Winston Churchill. You know, things would have gone very differently for the rest of the 20th century had Lord Halifax become prime minister in 1940. That 18 months in which the British Empire stood alone、uh, between between the fall of France and、um, Pearl Harbor, which the British nations of the world stood alone as the only democracies against the forces of Tyranny is the hinge moment of the 20th century, and if that conservative leadership、uh, thing had gone different, and don't forget, the king didn't want Churchill either. You know, there's no. It could. It could. If they. If they'd acted normally, it would have been Halifax.、Um, and the thing about that is. That hinge moment of the 20th century would have gone very differently. So, absolutely, one man. Can make a difference, but we're not in that situation now. You know, we were in a situation where, for example, at that point,、uh, millions and millions of we used to talk about the British peoples around the world because they were all over the map, and they all essentially shared a similar view of、uh, Britain as the mother country. Whether you were in Canada or Australia or even in South Africa and India, to a degree—not everyone, but to a degree—and what we now have is a situation where you know you have to ask yourself: How good would Churchill have been、uh, in a land where people thought Leah Thomas was a hot chick? Because we're bonkers. You know, half of us are bonkers. Half of us have flown the coop, and let's just leave it as an open question. They might think we're the bonkers ones. Okay, that's fine. But if you're in a if you're in a society where the two halves think the other half are nuts, well, basically, it's simpler than that. I mean, basically, in America, the right thinks the left is nuts, and the left thinks the right is evil. Our societies are much more divided. Uh, than the one that Churchill took over in in 1940. Churchill had to make a decision on a calculation of the national interest in deciding whether or not to continue the war against Germany, and whether he could take、uh, 
Britain and in particular the dominions along with him for the ride. That's, that's basically a cold political calculation. We're looking for someone who can roll back decades of insanity. And I don't think you can say, oh, let's just sit it out until some Churchill turns up. OK, Scott Morrison, no, he's not in Australia. He's not really Churchill. Boris Johnson, he's not really Churchill. Erin O'Toole in Ottawa, he's not really Churchill, is he? Uh, Liz uh, Cheney, uh, could she be Churchill in drag, the... Leah Thomas of Churchill's. Uh, it's it's way beyond that. It's way beyond that. Everybody's got to stand up. Do you realize that if you believe the official narrative, 80 million Americans voted for a, uh, a boob who can barely stay awake. He can't answer questions. He has he has to be basically stage managed, stage directed through a 20 minute press conference. He's a joke. Everybody around the planet knows that he's a joke. Uh, and and yet apparently 80, and it's not his fault. I think it's terrible. I, I'd like him to be back in Delaware watching all the murder she wrote reruns he wants to. I think this is a terrible thing to do to the guy. But it's on the 80 million people, supposedly, who voted for him. We have to change the facts on the ground because the facts on the ground, we're not going to have common sense policies. You know, we have absolutely insane policies now. The people uh, opposed to us are determined to destroy this country. It will still bear the name the United States of America, but it will be unrecognizable. How many years do you have to leave your southern border, a border with the third world, open before you have simply swamped any kind of possibility of restoring America? Nobody does that. But apparently it's racist to point it out. You know, that's that's the other thing. I other reason I didn't want to. I got bored by doing these stupid uh, going on American shows and not being able to talk about any of that. You know, because somehow someone's done a focus group that, oh, you know, it just we, we sound a bit Trumpy if we start talking about the southern border. Well. If it's not even possible to talk about it, how likely is it you are ever going to be able to do anything about it? We have to change minds of everybody. And I know how awful it is because, because the default setting of our society is actually far left now. In fact, it's crazy freaking left. It's uh, it's it's tranny admiral left. You know, the default setting of public discourse is a tranny admiral, right? Totally unconvincing tranny admiral, right? Uh, tranny admiral not making a, uh, a a bit of effort to look like a semi-hot tranny admiral. We're not even talking about that casual foal. We're not even talking about that Bond girl I ran into all those years ago. We're just talking, we're just talking about laughing, where someone has a, what we used to call a sex change. Someone gets a bad sex change. So bad a sex change, you might as well have got it on the British NHS. 
and we all pretend that she's some kind of inspiration. I don't, I don't know. I don't care whether you're a boy or a girl or any of the 55 other genders, but I don't know that uh, any of the 57 genders find the bad tranny admiral any kind of inspiration, even if you overlook the fact uh, that she killed all those people in old folks' homes in Pennsylvania. So we're actually, we are, we are actually training people. We've trained people now to swallow the madness. So it's not going to be possible for a Churchill because it's, it's, it would be like appointing Churchill the warden at a madhouse. We have to start, we have to start, and we should have been, we should be doing this all the time in, in, uh, in, in, in just restoring the facts on the ground to a semblance of normality. Uh, Mark says, uh, oh no, is it Mark? Or have I, uh, have I gone uh, wrong here? Oh no, Drew, Drew Weber. Drew Weber says, uh, contrary to popular opinion in the US, Biden took comfort in saying that I don't think I'll find any European leader that thinks I'm not up to the job. Do you think any European country would swap their leader for Biden? If so, what trade might be a net plus for the US. I think it, the criminality is, as, as I said earlier, it's the corruption and the criminality. In the end, Biden is a crook. What he's done is crooked. Uh, he's open to blackmail on all kinds of fronts, the 10% for the big guy and all the rest of it. B basically, he loosed his brother and his son upon the world with some of the darkest, shiftiest, dirtiest regimes on the planet uh, and, uh, and told them to go and basically sell his surname. And to, to make the point I always make, the Hunter Biden laptop is true. The media lied to you. Your intelligence professionals lied to you when they said it was Russian disinformation. The New York Times, two years later, when it doesn't matter, now says it's true. But if you went and you actually looked at the materials from the laptop, yes, that's Hunter there with uh, girls who look a little on the young side. You know, we're getting into Jeffrey Epstein territory there and he's uh, smoking crack, which I think used to be a crime uh, and likely was when these videos were taken. And then he's using his prostitutes as uh, confessor figures. It's all true. You can you just spend 10 minutes with the contents of the laptop and you know it's true. But the the evil American media decided to cover up for that. That's the other problem, too, um, that there's nothing uh, as uh, as filthy as the American media. And particularly, I know COVID has sort of slightly changed all that, because if you look at the way the Australians and the Canadians and the UK media uh, reacted to COVID, they, they kind of went Hunter's laptop on. You know, there's only one version. That's it. Uh, I suppose if one were trying to excuse them, one would say, well, that's a public health thing. What's interesting is how uh, the American media are so comfortable doing it about everything else, particularly when it's just a straight up, straight down political thing. So that if you disagree with the politics now, if you disagree with the political narrative, it's not like the old days, climate change, transgender, uh, Islam, 
you know, there was there was some. It was felt it was kind of hurtful or unscientific. Or now it's just naked political with the evil American media. Um. So I I think about that's my big problem, Drew, is that this guy's a crook. So almost anyone is better because if you if you're if you're talking about some you know Belgian prime minister or Scandinavian prime minister, they're better because they're not crooked. The corruption here is terrible, and that's another reason the whole sort of conservative ink thing uh, bothers me. Bothers me. Because I think it's very, I think it's, I think it's very easy to, you know, that, that, whatever that, uh, not clear channel, uh, what was the, Cumulus, the guy at Cumulus, who said you weren't allowed, after January the 6th, you weren't allowed to say that the election was fraudulent. And I said, screw you. And I kept saying it was fraudulent because that's what I thought. Uh, but even, you know, even if I hadn't thought it, I don't see why it should be prohibited from saying it. If you genuinely believe it, nobody really knows. Nobody can really give you an accurate number for an American election because they're all crap. That's why when someone calls for a recount, like whatever congressional district that was in New York, up uh, north of Syracuse, somewhere near the Canadian border, wherever it was, um. You know, it goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks because it's all crap. It's crappity, crappity, crap, crap all the way down. And Americans should be ashamed of that. And so the thing about the thing about these strange sort of uh, gender ambiguous continental prime ministers, one can say what one wishes about them. But generally speaking, for the most part, they're not crooks. And that's what I that's what's really beginning to grate with me on this. Uh, Ali says, Mark, I was going to pose this question to you even before I read the latest skullduggery by the Democrat sycophants, the mainstream media. In light of the fact that a fair and lawful election might not ever be possible again, good luck with those midterms, GOP. And the flat earthers on the left continue to cover up and deny science regarding the origins of COVID and its effectiveness and serious side effects, or their lies about the biological facts of life regarding the social engineering crowd who refuse to cede any ground, as we've seen in Florida, and are going full scorched earth in terms of public education. Could red states try a Quebec solution? I know it hasn't panned out for Quebec, but along the lines of an independent autonomous region within a country. Well, that's an interesting thing because the province of Quebec, uh, you said hasn't panned out for them. That That's true if you believe that they really want to leave Canada and become an independent republic. But if they just want to shake down Canada and effectively get English Canada to subsidize French Canada, it's worked out very well. Now, Quebec, it has all the attributes of a, uh, a nation state. It, it belongs to uh, international organizations such as the Francophonie, which is uh, Paris's rather stupid attempt to create an imitation of the British Commonwealth. Um, it has control of its own immigration system, and it exercises that control very fiercely. So if you want to emigrate, if you're in, uh, you know, Finland, 
or Chad and you want to emigrate, or uh, Idaho, and you want to emigrate to Saskatchewan, uh, Alberta, Nova Scotia, you'll go through Canadian immigration. If you want to emigrate to Quebec, uh, you'll go through Quebec immigration and they get to prioritize uh, French-speaking countries and all the rest of it. So they've got, they have what you would call in Canada asymmetrical federalism. Same thing in the United Kingdom, for example, where the awesome foursome, as Boris Johnson used to call them, the constituent nations of the United Kingdom, uh, all have uh, different levels of devolved power. So that uh, Scotland has the most, Northern Ireland it has its uh, assembly, Wales has that Senate or whatever it is, which I think has the, uh, the lowest level of devolved powers of the Celtic uh, nations, uh, unless, of course, you throw in England, which doesn't get any kind of toy town parliament of its own at all. So that, that's what you'd call asymmetrical federalism. Same thing in Canada where Quebec has powers that no other province has. I don't know how you would even begin. I can see why. And I, to, to make this uh, congenial comparisons, the Kurdistan region in Iraq, for example, which is in some ways uh, about the best of what we have to show for two decades in Iraq. But... I don't know how you do that in the American context because uh, the American context is that all these states are supposedly sovereign and they all and they all have equal sovereignty. You can do that in a system such as Canada's where power is licensed power is concentrated in the crown and licensed down ever more sparingly. So if the Crown decides to license more power to Quebec than Manitoba, whoop-de-doo, what are you going to do about it? But I don't know. It's a very interesting question, Ali. And I, I, I don't know. I'd, I would foresee the breakup of the country before it becomes that. The other thing I would say here, and this is, I think, critical to where Americans are, is that the cities... And a lot of these cities are blue cities in, in what would otherwise be red states, but, but they are deteriorating. Civilized life is departing those cities at an accelerating rate. There was an awful story from New York the other day. Again, this, this stuff just happens every day now. I mentioned last week the Broadway vocal coach who was shoved to the ground is now dead. I think this woman was about the same age, 87 years old, and some thug just gets her, wrenches, rips her arm off, and she's dead. These are horror this, this is These are horror stories. This is where you've got basically uh, Mogadishu dumped in what's otherwise an English home county or whatever. And, it's, and so the, it's going to be very hard to divide all that. Uh, and the likelihood is that the violence, the lawlessness is going to accelerate before it will be possible uh, to, to do that. Um, let's, have, uh, let's have one more. Uh, this is from Tony Allwright in Dublin. We love questions from Dublin. Actually, one of the things I've really enjoyed on uh, the GB News Show is the amount of comments and amount of viewers we have 
uh, over the Irish Sea. Uh, Tony says, on one of your recent GB News TV shows, your guest talked about Russia's demographic death spiral with its low, low birth rates, not to mention its high male vodka-induced death rates. The birth rates mean most soldiers have no siblings, and thus each death is an unmitigated family disaster and tragedy because it represents the end of any hope for old age care for his parents, plus the end of the family line. How long will... I think that does make a a difference, Tony. It's not one of the things people talk about. But I think, for example, when you see Afghanistan, where you basically got a family with eight sons on one side up against a family with one son on the other side, on the allied side, uh, that, that changes the calculus, in, at least in terms of the stomach for war. Um, Tony says, uh, how long will Russian parents tolerate such losses measured in the tens of thousands? Indeed, how long will the Russian soldiers themselves, used to being the sole precious focus of their families, tolerate being put at such mortal risk for a cause they scarcely even understand? And if this is a problem for Russia... How much worse will it be for China, each of whose soldiery is a direct result of its viciously enforced one-child policy, is similarly siblingless and as such has been raised as a little emperor? Can China realistically sustain and will China's parents accept the high death rate that will inevitably ensue should it invade Taiwan? whose army is bigger and far better equipped and trained than Ukraine's. Taiwan would likewise be fighting for its life and its future and more than likely will have powerful allies, even the US, fighting alongside it as well as keeping it supplied. On a related note, the Russians have recently driven thousands of Ukrainians out of Mariupol into Russia under false pretenses and confiscated their papers. Do you think this is to increase the number of Russians as an alternative to procreation? Well, I do know that Vladimir Putin thinks about this. Now, his conclusions are not what would be my conclusions. I prefer the Viktor Orban approach, although even that gets attacked as racist and all the rest of it. Um, but I think that's... Uh, Uh, That's preferable to, say, Joe Biden or Boris Johnson or people who never think about this issue at all. And if you did raise it with them, you know, I had all this 15 years ago at the time America Alone came out. I saw them all. I was back and forth. These days, I wouldn't even bother taking up the invitations because I know how it goes. But I was in all the chancelleries of power on both sides of the Atlantic and down under too. And uh, I got to talk with very intelligent people. Dick Cheney and I discussed it. And uh, Cheney said to me that this was a paradigm shift. What was happening in Europe was a paradigm shift. He talked about things like that. Intelligent guy, saw it all. But, but in Tony Blair's words... It's it's not part of the European conversation. It's part of the subterranean conversation because nobody wants to be called a racist. So we don't talk about it at all. Uh, so all kinds of people, as Paul Morland was saying on my show, uh, he's an expert demographer and he was saying there's nothing that says there has to be there have to be Russians or Ukrainians or Japanese in the world any more than there have to be Visigoths in the world 
peoples can go out of business. And the question then is, how do they go out of business? Do they go out of business just quietly, like the Japanese seem to be contemplating? Or is it bloody and convulsive, uh, as it seems likely to be for certain other countries? Okay. (laughs) On that cheery note, how about a little bit of music to close? Tulse Hill is, and again, someone's got to start talking about this stuff. Someone's got to start talking about stuff that matters. You know, not Andrew Cuomo's dog. That doesn't matter. I saw a picture today on Twitter. Someone tweeted a picture of Andrew Cuomo with some entirely different dog. Screw Andrew Cuomo. Screw his pooch. Got to start talking about stuff that matters. Uh, A little bit of music. Tulse Hill is an innocuous suburb in South London. It was named after Sir Henry Tulse. Do you know who he was? He was Lord Mayor of London in 1684. Uh, Unfortunately for the residents of Tulse Hill, Sir Henry held £500 worth of shares in the Royal African Company, and so he's accused of making money from slavery. (gasps) Sadiq Khan. I shouldn't have done the sound effect there. (coughs) Sadiq Khan, the present mayor of London, is offering money to local councils to, quote, decolonize their streets. And so Tulse Hill may be erased from the map completely. Many years ago, many years ago, I lived briefly in Brixton and even more briefly, had a girlfriend in Tulse Hill. And if she telephoned me and asked me round, I'd say, oh, I'll be there in 24 minutes. And then I'd sing her 24 minutes from Tulse Hill, which made her giggle. And her giggles tended to help the evening go well. And years later, uh, some rock and roll type actually released a song called 24 Minutes from Tulse Hill, which was nowhere near as good as mine. But I can't remember a word of it. Because every time I try to remember it, the image of my lovely sweetheart in a, her rather figure-hugging sweater comes to mind and obliterates everything else. Anyway, it's all ancient history now. The sweater, the song, and apparently even the soon-to-be-abolished suburb. My lyric was, of course, a parody of a famous hit for Gene Pitney, a big favourite of Stein Club member Nicola Timmerman, in eastern Ontario, if I recall correctly. So this is just for you, Nicola. Music by Bert Bacharach. Words by Hal David. Dearest, darling, you're not connected to Sir Henry Tulse, are you? Dearest, darling, I had to write to say that I won't be home anymore. For something happened to me While I was driving home And I'm not the same anymore Oh, I was only 24 hours from Tulsa Only a day away from your arms I saw a welcoming light And stopped to rest for the night And that is when I as I pulled in outside of the small motel, she was there. And so I walked up to her 
Asked where I could get something to eat And she showed me where Oh, I was only 24 hours from Tulsa singing Bacharach and David at their best. She took me to a cafe. I asked her if she would stay. She said, OK. Don't try that at home, boys and girls. Is Tulsa also named after Sir Henry Tulse? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. We should just change the name anyway, just to be on the safe side. The stupidity accelerates... The end will not be long now. We'll have more music, plus the 100 Years Ago show anthology edition and Rick McGuinness's movie pick, all coming up over the weekend at Stein Online and the Mark Stein Show back on your telly screens on Monday. Stay safe, stay free. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.